The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Doctors are in. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. That's right. It is Friday, January 5th, and today is National Keto Day. Not National Chemo Day, but National Keto Day. It's also National Screenwriters Day, even though, you know, they just got off the strike. It's also National Whipped Cream Day. What can you do with whipped cream? And National Bird Day. For all you bird watchers out there, I just feel like we need to watch Dennis the Menace and have Mr. Wilson back. But nonetheless, thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can look down below on your screen to see where we live on the Internet. We are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those platforms. And kicking it off, that's right. You know who it is. It is the dope dad himself who has... That's right, the old school paperback backdrop. That's right, it is the dope dad himself who likes to light with crayons on the wall. It's none other than Rico Lameet. You got that right. You got damn right, Jason. Yes. (laughs) You know what? It's going down, y'all. Make what you want of the timing here. You know, the current political environment and everything, uh, you know country under joe president joe biden feeling like we're just taking l after l unpopular former presidents running again just to dodge jail time america's pretty divided right now and badly in need of a net win for everyone regardless of who you are what you look like or whatever your political affiliations might be plenty of data from national polls as well as good old-fashioned common sense would tell you federal cannabis reform is something an overwhelming majority of us would get behind Well, it looks like the biggest step toward whatever cannabis of tomorrow might look like from both industry and consumer viewpoints is upon us. Buckle up. The DEA has officially taken the wheel. Marijuana moments. Kyle Yeager was first to break the news this Wednesday that the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency or administration, excuse me, is reportedly telling the lawmakers that it reserves the final authority to make any scheduling decision on marijuana following an ongoing review, regardless of what the Department of Health and Human Services recommends. 
Apparently, DEA administrator Ann Milgram is tired of the rest of these dusty-ass agencies fumbling the bag and told lawmakers the DEA is now conducting its review of whether to soften federal regulation of marijuana under the Controlled Substance Act. And some are hinting at a full removal of cannabis off the list of Schedule One drugs instead of HHS's rescheduling um, recommendation. Joe Biden and him have uh, been pretending never happened. Removal off the list would mark a significant and welcomed shift away from federal enforcement now that the vast majority of the U.S. states have either legalized or decriminalized. It's, it would solve a litany of issues unique to cannabis like access to banking, contradictory enforcement policies from state to state, whether or not you can legally own a gun or not, and many, 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 many more. According to Axios, in a letter written last month to Oregon Democrat and current go-to ride-or-die for all things cannabis and government, Representative Earl Blumenauer, DEA official Michael Miller wrote that the agency has, quote, the final authority to schedule, reschedule, or deschedule drugs under the Controlled Substance Act. The letter was an official response to Blumenauer and dozens of other lawmakers in both parties sending DEA Administrator Ann Milgram a letter back in October calling to end the harmful federal marijuana prohibition and help our law enforcement officers appropriately prioritize public safety. The bipartisan group wrote that rescheduling is an important step in the right direction, but not sufficient to correct the wrongs of federal prohibition or to meaningfully address the federal state uh, state gap on cannabis policy, ultimately calling for cannabis to be fully removed from enforcement under the Controlled Substance Act. And by the looks of that response, it seems like we will soon be getting an answer as to what Ann Milgram's new and improved DEA thinks is best for the rest of us. Given our government's history of political smokescreens, bait-and-switch messaging, and known affinity for playing word games with its citizens just to boost national morale, I'm not really holding my breath on this shit going down like, I don't know, tomorrow. But I'm sure plenty of folks will be happy that they're at least signaling that an answer will be coming soon. I don't know, though. What do y'all think? Will Ann Milgram's DEA ironically be the ones to deliver us to that descheduled weed-for-the-people promise? land, <laughs> promised land uh, that America deserves? Or is it all just about to go bust? I'm Rico Lamid, the dopest out on the street, opening up the conversation. Is it going to happen? I Are we going to get descheduling? Oh, I hope we get descheduling, but I don't see any likelihood of the DEA moving to descheduling on their own without an act of Congress. Because then they're losing control. Exactly. They're literally taking it out of their own control, and it's all about control. I, I fear yep. you're... Yep, it's true. Well, technically, it is. It's already out they're not going to not do anything this time. Because here's like, just if you look at just the behavior in years past, the day it was due, they came out with a nope. This year, mm -hmm. they came out with a wait for it. So it takes longer to say yes and figure out what saying yes means than to just deny, deny, deny. Deny is easy. That's a quick, quick letter to type out. Um, I think that it is nearly impossible for an enforcement agency to tell the health agency they're wrong. And that's really what this comes down to, is this is the first time a fellow federal agency is asking. Other con Congress people have asked, governors have asked, we the people have asked, um, but this is the first time that their fellow federal agency has asked. And I think that's why it's, it's they, 
it it is likely to happen. It's just how and when at I this hope, point. I, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen. I'm 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 I have so many concerns. Uh, I unfortunately said yes to writing a chapter for a book, like going into a hard copy print book mm-hmm. on the future of the cannabis industry. Pfizer right now. Pfizer's the future. I, I torture myself. So I, I, I literally spent the whole Christmas and, and New Year's break thinking about this and talking to people smarter than me. And I think the other thing that I've just really got to point out that I, I don't hear those people talking about and, and shout out to Luke Zimmerman, who's just one of my favorite um, semi-annual um, brain picking sessions, which is what's going to happen the second this is schedule three before even interstate commerce has been figured out, regardless of the legal states suing because it's infringing on their uh, their state process, uh, 10th Amendment argument, or it's North Dakota suing because they don't want it, Canada is going to sue to make sure that they can get into the U.S. the medical-grade products that they produce in Canada. And no one's talking about like the international yep. component of all of this that's going to happen maybe even quicker than the interstate yep. commerce. So... You're, 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 you know what, Dale? You're you're so right about that because uh, President Trump he actually put cannabis into NAFTA 2.0. Um, I, I don't have so it's already, Trump, it's already do shit, Trump on, did do that. Man. Trump did do that. Trump 100 okay, okay. did that. Back to Civics 101. Back to Civics 101. DEA is an agency that is in the executive branch of the government. The executive branch of the government is to carry out the laws that are decided in Congress. It is Congress's bailiwick to deschedule or reschedule cannabis, not the executive branch. The executive branch, the DEA, is just to enforce the existing laws. The laws are made, let's go back to civics, by the legislative branch of the government, which is Congress. Congress needs to discuss. This is all a bunch of fucking hot air. We agree. I, I agree with that, Doctor Mark. All the way. Nothing to do with Congress is trying to say none of these agencies have power. Like the EPA can't make yep. rules about our water and our air. So how the hell can the DEA make rules about? I mean, I agree the whole with them. Thing is just exactly, Bill. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with all that. Burn it down. I, I think you guys are all on my page today. Burn um, it all down. I'm coming in <laughs> hot. Yeah. yeah. My question for you, Dale, uh, on this: Do you think that? Uh, um, do you think that Canada is going to take over the medical game? If we open up the, our borders to the Canadian invasion, <laughs> I no. think because because America every time adult use comes in has foregone paying attention to medical patients, and that Canada is doing the research that has leaned into pharmaceuticalizing the components way sooner, they're going to be first to market. Will what, what the question is is will American companies be able to continue to operate the way they are? It's it's this is this is between like American. It's going to get worse before it gets better. The mm-hmm. one hope that I have is that all of these different interests that don't agree on anything are aligning on one thing. Schedule three is not the answer. Mm-hmm. And while certain. um we should definitely have Schedule Three products available. That's where Canada is going to kick our ass. Is that Walgreens will be able to carry what Canada brings in because, like, Space Gems are not going on the pharmaceutical shelf as much as we love Space Gems. So it's it's just they're more ready than we are for this. 
And so Schedule 3 drugs are manufactured by FDA-registered facilities, none of which would translate over into the cannabis industry. Zero. Exactly. So Schedule 3 is a non-fucking starter. We've already said this on this program. Let's move on. This is just so much lip service and bullshit that has nothing to do with reality. Nothing. Zero. I'm with you, Dr. Mark. Hold on, let's go. Yeah. 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 Look at look at this. Yeah. Dr. Mark and Dale coming He's in hot. Fired today. up today. Uh, we're gonna go Dr. to a commercial and like we're gonna go to a commercial, get Dr. Mark some water. Oh man, that was weird. Hey you America. Do I look like Sean Connery? <laughs> Good morning, America. Saman Razani coming to you live from sunny Los Angeles, California with the one and only highest host, Mr. Jason Beck, smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast? You can find it on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. No excuses in 2024. If you haven't checked us out, check it out now. And also, check out what The Prophet's doing in 2024. Sorry for dropping the F-bomb. Oh, I like F bombs, and, and in the first ten Never minutes too, Doctor Mark. Mark. Yeah, is isn't that a problem on YouTube though? It is, but it's, it's okay. a problem in my house. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize. Yeah. I got a curse jar right next to the mute jar over there. We, we have a we have a feisty group. Yes, we got a feisty group in, first in, in Friday the, in the building today. I love it. The first Friday. Getting things popping. Mm-hmm. Y'all know who it is. Up next, it's the uh, Hyatt 9 News team's head honcho, the highest Republican in most rooms. I don't know, man. All I, rooms. I've been in every room with you, so I don't, I've been rooms. in some higher Republicans. I don't know, man. But um, known for smoking the best weed in the world and his undying support of uh, people we shall not name, Jason. Back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Rico. Oh, man, you guys. Wisconsin governor who called for marijuana legalization says he'll back a limited GOP proposal, you guys. That's right. Wisconsin Wisconsin governor Tony Evers, who has pushed for full legalization of adult use marijuana, said on Wednesday that he is open to a more limited medical marijuana legalization being promoted by Republicans. In quotes, I would think that getting it all done in one fell swoop would be would be more thoughtful as far as meeting the needs of Wisconsinites that have asked for it. The Democrat said in an interview with uh, the Associated Press, but if that's not what we can accomplish right now, I'll be supportive of that, he says. Republicans have been working uh, behind closed doors for years on a medical marijuana bill, and Assembly Speaker Robin Voss said in December that they would unveil it this month. Republicans have repeatedly rejected calls from Evers and other Democrats to legalize all uses of marijuana, including medical and adult use. And Voss said the proposal would be limited and modeled after the medical marijuana law that had been in place in neighboring Minnesota before it moved to full legal. He did not immediately return a message uh, Friday seeking seeking reaction to Evers' comments, and Republican State Senator Mary uh, Felzowski, who introduced a medical marijuana bill that got its first hearing in the legislature back in 2022, said she was glad Evers was open to the idea. 
Filizowski said she is not involved with the latest proposal coming uh, f- coming from the assembly and ever said he was open to a limited medical marijuana program, but that he had not yet seen the Republican bill. Wisconsin remains an out- nas- outlier nationally. 38 states have legalized medical cannabis and 24 have legalized adult use sales. And the push for legalization in Wisconsin has gained momentum as its neighbors have loosened its laws. Marquette University Law School polls have shown large majority support uh, support among Wisconsin residents for legalizing marijuana use for years. And well, 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 looks like Wisconsin might have something going on. What do you guys have to say about this? This is Jason Beck for the High at Nine News. They're about 30 years behind. This is pathetic. And the incremental change here is an insult to the world as well as to the the will of the voters and the populace of this country. And this notion that he's open to a limited program shows that really he doesn't represent the people. Um, I mean, I mean, but hold on. But if he if he can't get the full the full thing done, isn't he doing what the people would want by getting what he can get accomplished done? Yarrow? So the conversation around incrementalism in public policy, when we're talking about medical programs and we're talking about California having legalized medical cannabis back in 1996, and we're talking about AIDS patients and we're talking about cancer patients Mm -hmm. is an insult to science. It's an insult to society. And it's an insult to changes in public policy that actually create tangible results. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say got to take whatever you can get. These Republicans have been stonewalling the hell out of him um, and, and pretty much any kind of movement on, uh, on legalization or decriminalization, you know, statewide for a minute now. And I mean, I can just see them be like, OK, we need something. We need some kind of win. Yeah, they need they need to victory. get some kind of win. He's like, hey, I can't I can't get a win with 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 full on full on. So let me just take take a win and m- move along and maybe we can get some more members in the next legislature and, and, and do it, do it all over again. Yeah, I think it's time to be a little bit more angry than that. Moving forward, yeah, it's time to be a little bit more angry than that. None of us live in Wisconsin, but if you lived in Wisconsin and your mother had cancer and she couldn't access medical cannabis for her chemo uh, symptoms, it'd be time to storm the Capitol. I mean, but isn't isn't that up to the people that actually do live in Wisconsin to, to to do those types of actions and cause that kind of ruckus? So you're so then you're ultimately are blaming the uh, advocate community in Wisconsin then, Yarrow, for not being advocating enough. That's blaming the victims right there. No, I don't think that's what Yarrow is saying. But I think encouraging, uh, you know, if if you don't shoot shoot for the stars, you're never going to catch the moon. That's if you right. only ask for the moon, you're never going to leave Earth. So I think we have to take the wins we get and continue to demand more. I think two things are true at the same time and Americans are great at cognitive dissonance. So mm-hmm. that's yeah. really correct. I mean, nobody really, no, nobody loves incrementalism, but incrementalism is, is just the fact of politics. It's like a tug of war and we need um, the opinions of people like Yarrow to, you know, pull toward one side. Um, so you're both right, you know, in the sense that we need to really uh, argue against this, but in the end, it'll be movement toward our side. So, you know, we're slowly winning this tug of war. And what we happens be- when there's not incrementalism is overcorrecting. It's it's yeah. a really fascinating, like, I, I'll just put that out there as, yeah. as my that humble pendulum, observation. Right? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pendulum goes swings both ways. I would say I always like to uh, come back to this uh, moment that it's uh, this is all Scott Walker's fault. So Scott Walker on his way out of Wisconsin, (laughs) he he effectively neutered the Democrats on his way out the door, and they have not been able to really do shit in Wisconsin since. So I mean, look, the Democrats have been self-neutering for decades, right? So I don't want to put it all on his lap. The thing is, is you guys, you you guys said it. You guys said it. Hey, we handed the scalpel. It's true. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. we we need we need a brownie Mary out there with a cheddar cheese twist. Okay, we need people who are willing to take a principled stand or angry at the lack of progress. Have you you been to Wisconsin, uh, uh, Yarrow? I have. Everybody's brown there. Ice skating in Madison. There's so so many of them, which is why I'm like, uh, they would have had legalization far before everybody else. Like Wisconsin Mm -hmm. is a hippie state. They got so many. And and think think about the states at neighbors, right? Illinois. Yep. Yeah. Minnesota Minnesota. and Michigan. So about half of the population live within driving distance of a state where they could get it. Mm hmm. Very, very true, but time will tell, and we'll see what ends up happening. Time, time, time mm-hmm. will tell. <laughs> so good luck to all those cheese heads out there, yeah, man. Good luck. Like, I just can't believe that you would put cheese inside of a brownie, Yarrow. Uh, you know what? With a like the right goat cheese and a little salted caramel twist, I'm sure there's some sort of amazing cannabis chef like Mike Salon from Chef for Hire or some of these people yeah. like David Howe's wife I saw yes, on one of those cooking shows. I, I, I find good chefs can do all sorts of crazy combinations. That's not my bailiwick, but I'm ready to eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have some people in the audience talking about cheese on ice cream. Like cheese on ice cream with some trash like that, man. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, you guys are tripping with all that. You guys are tripping Ooh. with all that. We're going to keep this train rolling. We're going to roll right into Dr. Gene Talleyrand. He's the founder of Medican and the founder of the CESC as well. And make sure that you, you know, keep your medical card because then you can keep a half a pound and you want to go to Medican.com to get your recommendation from Dr. Talleyrand. That's right. It is none other than Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Thank you. Uh, Happy Friday, everyone. Uh, My headline today is Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Cards and Anxiety, What the Research Says, by Ed Mahone of Spotlight PA. In Pennsylvania, anxiety disorders are the leading reason doctors approve patients for a medical cannabis card. Even though the evidence that cannabis is effective treatment for anxiety is limited and mixed. A Spotlight PA analysis found that in 2021, anxiety disorders were listed on more than 151,000 medical cannabis certificates. That's nearly 40% of the certificates that year. Anxiety ranked far ahead of chronic pain, post-traumatic stress disorder, and other conditions. In a comprehensive review by the National Academy of Sciences, a committee of scientists found conclusive evidence that cannabis was effective for treating chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting. There was also substantial evidence that cannabis was effective treatment for chronic pain. But the evidence for cannabis as treatment for anxiety was weaker. The report specifically looked at the potential benefit of CBD because it doesn't produce a high and found limited evidence. The report also found a potential downside, stating moderate evidence that daily cannabis use is associated with increased anxiety. 
Anxiety was approved in Pennsylvania by the then state's health secretary, Rachel Levine, in 2019, after she carefully reviewed the literature. One of the reports was a white paper by research associate Susan Stoner. That's really her name. In her report, Stoner made a distinction between THC and CBD, saying that pure THC appears to decrease anxiety at lower doses and increase anxiety at higher doses. On the other hand, CBD appears to decrease anxiety at all doses. This story throws a bit of shade at the Pennsylvania regulators, suggesting that there may not be enough evidence to include anxiety as one of the qualifying conditions for medical cannabis. The author misses the forest for the trees. The state's real-world evidence demonstrates that anxiety is overwhelmingly the most popular reason for medical cannabis. Relying on traditional studies may not be appropriate for understanding the benefit, the therapeutic effects of cannabis. Traditional studies are designed to study single-agent pharmaceuticals, whereas cannabis is a variable multi-agent botanical. I know I hop on this point all the time, but the good people of Pennsylvania appear to have discovered what science could not. Despite limited traditional evidence, cannabis is overwhelmingly effective for anxiety. What's more, consumers are not using pure THC or CBD, but rather some combination of both, along with terpenes and other organic compounds. Studying cannabis requires a paradigm shift that has not yet occurred in the scientific literature. So does cannabis help with your anxiety? The answer may be complex for scientists, but for 40% of the medical cannabis patients enrolled in Pennsylvania, the answer is clearly yes. This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand with Hyatt 9 News. Dr. Wow. Jean, doesn't doesn't this match perfectly, though, with the studies on dronabinol, marinol, as it's commonly known, that the THC pill it is it, it creates uh, dysphoric effects in in many of the the consumers the the early tests with it AIDS and and cancer patients that they don't like pure THC uh, it it just seems to mimic the results of the pill variant of this study twenty years ago. You know, uh, well, first of all, the scientists studying uh, marinol or dronabinol, uh, which is isolated THC, um, consider the euphoria as an adverse effect, meaning so dysphoria, euphoria, you might like, you say tomato, I say tomato, you might like the euphoria, but somebody might consider it dysphoric. And and so, um, you know, it's it's really your perspective. Uh, and which is why they haven't approved it for anxiety. They've mostly approved it for um, for nausea uh, and then side effects, of course, for pain or muscle spasms and MS. But, uh, you know, the people are saying, first of all, we don't like Marinol. You know, I, I have patients that I can prescribe Marinol to, and they overwhelmingly choose the flower rather than, than the pill, which is why I'm not so worried about pharma coming in Schedule three, all of that, because you know people are voting right now. They'd rather get something illegal, or mm -hmm. if in, in the medical state legal, than they would go get a pharmaceutical because the pharmaceutical simply doesn't work. Um, so I don't think there's going to be a problem there uh, down the road. Well, Sorry for wandering not, on the answer. Line. No, there's not going to be a problem with the trap, but there's definitely going to be a problem with a regulated marketplace. 
I think uh, the regulated marketplace will continue to sell cannabis flower. How, how, uh, how, how would they be able to, Dr. Talleyrand, with, with what Dr. Mark says in regards with all Schedule Three drugs have to be produced in these uh, FDA-approved facilities? Right. It wouldn't be considered a Schedule Three drug. It wouldn't have gone through FDA facilities. It will simply go to the state's local uh, DCC, you know, and get approved that way, just like it's getting approved right now. I don't I don't see how they're going to how the FDA is going to let that fly. I'm not buying that one. Well, they're letting it fly now. <laughs> well, they're, they're only letting it fly now because they don't have jurisdiction because it's a schedule one drug. Once they have schedule three, then they have full jurisdiction. Once they're told to look and pay attention and it's your job, suddenly it's their job. And exactly. we just don't know what they're going to do with that. And how how in the current day and age of opiates and fentanyl and the crackdown and the necessary crackdown on 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 when when I when I'm studying what is going to happen to cannabis and juxtapose it to the behaviors that they are currently taking the roles that they are are undertaking with with these other pill manufacturing problems how do you then say oh well we're just going to ignore where do they draw that line i mm-hmm. it's it boggles my mind yep okay i you, think you, one of the you other gotta things remember, is- you got to remember what is approved by the fda are single active ingredient medicines mm-hmm. which is basically a cannabinoid inside a matrix of inactive ingredients if the cannabis plant teaches us anything it teaches us many things but if mushulam's work really teaches us anything it teaches us that the activity of whole flower is not just in one compound it's in all the compounds that are in the flower that's what's schedule one that's not schedule Schedule three, right? Flower is schedule one. They've deemed it having no medical value or and, and that it's highly addictive. But where that flies in the face of reality is that several active ingredients that are derived from the plant have now been approved by the FDA. But we do know that, yes, the FDA packaging CBD or packaging THC into a pill is never, never going to provide the efficacy that the whole plant is going to provide. And things like full-spectrum extracts, what people typically call RSO, I don't like to glorify Rick in his method of making full-spectrum extracts, which is basically taking cannabis and lighter fluid and boiling it in a crock pot in your garage. That's not cool. But full-spectrum extracts, which have flavonoids and the terpenes and a full range of cannabinoids, are going to have much more efficacy against cancer, against PTSD. It doesn't surprise me that the single isolated active doesn't have uh, activity against PSD. PSTD and and John, you, you know this that that the synthetic version uh, Marinol is a racemic mixture of both the right-handed and left-handed versions of the molecule, where only one of them works. So right away. 50% of that stuff is not going to work because the body only recognizes one of those molecules, not both of them. The other thing that I would say is that, again, if you're going to take a compound through clinical trials, you're going to spend an awful lot of money doing it. The reason why pharmaceutical companies have to spend a lot of money 
to get those things through clinical trials is because they have the molecule patented. So they're the only ones that can produce it. And by taking that molecule through the clinical trials, they own the clinical registration for that investigative new drug. And they need to have certain amount of sales on the other side of that approval to basically pay for the cash hole that they dug in getting there. There is no place for the pharmaceutical companies to play in cannabinoid-based medicine unless they're inventing new molecules, right? So all those hemp-derived molecules like HHCP and all those things, those things could have clinical efficacy, but they need to be studied and taken through FDA clinical trials. There is no play for the pharmaceutical companies with plant-based medicine, right? Because they can't pack in the active ingredient because these are public compositions that are known and have been known for years what they what they they do. So there's really no play for big pharma with the plant. None. Zero. I mean, here's here's what I would just sort of overlay with all of this, right? Euphoria, dysphoria, somebody's high is another person's cry. We know that there are over 150 cannabinoids. And we are from high school calculus, you know, the more variables there is in an equation, the harder it is to solve for it. And when I went to Canatech in Israel years ago, some guys and gals in little white coats said that not only was there all of these different variables and their interactions between each other with the full plant uh, compounds or extracts, uh, but also that different types of extraction and different form factors would also affect those ratios. So, you know, separate from the crock pot of RSO, it's not crock pot thinking to know that the notion that the, the, the more you can replicate what actually is in the plant when it's being put into a patient's body, probably the better. That's how God and nature intended it. Um, but, but, but separate from all of that, I think what gets missed in this conversation around the science is the notion that cannabis is just about medical. And so cannabis is about homeostasis and wellness and about people having the opportunity to self-adjust their endocannabinoid system. And we wouldn't have an endocannabinoid system unless maybe we might want to have some endocannabinoids in us. Now, I'm exploring the endocanine system and the way in which my dog makes me feel euphoria, but that's for a different podcast. So I just think that as we talk about the medical efficacy, it's important to also acknowledge that separate from medical efficacy and separate from how long it's going to take for us to crack the code and really understand this plant at a more deeper granular level, people should be able to self-regulate, self-medicate, self-recreate, and that that is, is, is a part of the equation that gets missed when we more myoptically look at this through the lens of what can we prove through the Western medicine model currently. Mm-hmm. And on well that, we really, really, it's really for wellness, not just for sickness. Thank yeah. you for bringing us back to that. And on that, we're going to go to a commercial and we're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2,600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The Control Tower from Highly Educated. 
stop whatever you're doing make sure you hit that like button i know we'll appreciate it you'll appreciate it and youtube appreciates it also make sure you subscribe to the channel if you've not subscribed already www.hyatt9news.com is where the website where you can find all of the stories that we cover on today's show and more i'm jason beck and this is smoky vanilla and if you want to feel as good as i look then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with smoky vanilla that's right baby I'm Smokey Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, Yee! yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. Yee! Oh, yeah. He is a second-generation cultivator and founder of Special Teams Consulting. And a quick look at that wall will tell you ain't nothing poor about this man's porcelain. <laughs> he is ballin'. Here to pour us out a little of that uh, infused Friday tea is Yarrow Kubrin. Oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Good morning, hi at 9 News viewers. It is Friday, January 5th, 9.37 a.m. Pacific time. And I am just mining a vein here in these last couple opportunities to be a, uh, a panelist here on the show. And I'm back for more around the uh, log jam of progress uh, when it comes to medical programs. So if you hear a theme, uh, it's because there is one. My article today is about the Kentucky governor. So Kentucky governor backs longer list of conditions eligible for marijuana treatment. Kentucky governor Andy Bashir says access to medical marijuana in the state should expand to include more health conditions. Access to medical marijuana in Kentucky should expand to include a longer list of severe health conditioners, Governor Andy Bashir said Thursday, in advocating a change that would make hundreds of thousands of more people eligible for treatment when the program begins next year. The measure, passed by the GOP-led legislature in 2003, specified that the eligible conditions include cancer, multiple sclerosis, chronic pain, epilepsy, chronic nausea, and post-traumatic stress disorder. The Democratic governor said the law is based on providing relief to Kentuckians with severe medical conditions and should therefore be expanded. He said the list of qualifying conditions should include, grow to include ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, Parkinson's, Crohn's, sickle cell anemia, uh, wasting syndrome, neuropathy, severe arthritis, hepatitis C, fibromyalgia, muscular dystrophy, Huntington's disease, HIV, AIDS, glaucoma, and terminal illness. I want you to point. think about that. AIDS wasn't included, okay? This is a crucial set, Bashir said at his weekly news conference. While the legislation referenced several qualifying conditions, it left out others. The expansion would make an estimated 437,000 more Kentuckians eligible, he said. The governor noted that two advisory boards have recommended that lawmakers expand the list of conditions to include those additional illnesses. One of them, hepatitis C, was recommended by just one of the groups, Bashir said. The medical cannabis bill cleared the legislature after years of defeat. Bashir quickly signed it into law last March, making it one of the top bipartisan achievements of his first term. The governor won re-election to a second term last November. Bill supporters cautioned Thursday that any effort to expand the number of eligible conditions, including AIDS, 
would run into resistance in both legislative chambers. This is our initial step, Republican Senator Stephen West, the bill's lead sponsor, said in an interview. Some people want to be on step five, and you've got to walk before you can run. One of the most protracted debates last year revolved around which conditions would qualify, and lawmakers went back and forth before reaching consensus, West said. I think there will be much consternation if we start tinkering with the list of conditions it covers, he says. Republican Representative Jason Neems, another prominent supporter, agreed, saying, I don't think now is the time to make those adjustments. The measure already includes language allowing for the opportunity to make those adjustments when appropriate, he said in a separate interview. I think we need to focus now on getting all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted, Neems said. To that end, Bashir announced that his administration had filed its first batch of regulations governing a medical cannabis program that provided a framework for how medical cannabis businesses, cultivators, processors, producers, and dispensaries would operate and for guidance on how products will be packaged, labeled, transported, advertised, and tested, he said. These regulations will ensure that Kentucky's medical cannabis program is safe and accessible for all patients and make sure that they are secure for our communities, the governor said. The sheriff said his administration is on track to get the program launched in 2025. Lawmakers will review those regulations and others. Additional rules on how Kentuckians can apply for medical cannabis business license will be issued in coming weeks and months, Bashir said. In another step towards implementation, the state has launched a commercial zoning tool meant to help medical marijuana businesses determine if a proposed location is legal. The law prohibits such businesses from being within 1,000 feet of a primary or secondary school or daycare and allows local governments to issue additional zoning restrictions. Kentucky joined the majority of other states when it legalized medical marijuana. So let me just kick this off for a second. My prayer for Kentucky is that they allow their medical cannabis laws to be as lax as their gun acquisition policy and that they allow the conversation for patients and what qualifies as a medical condition for the use of cannabis between to be between a patient and their doctor the way a woman's right to reproductive options should be between a patient and the doctor and the notion that senators are going to line item and disregard hepatitis c or that aids didn't make it into the first list is um Again, a really, really painful process towards incrementalism. California, 30 years ago, recognized that people dying of AIDS was one of the most compelling reasons why medical cannabis needed to be accessible. And Kentucky, God bless you, you are so far behind. It's like looking backwards in time to the Paleolithic era of cannabis policy. This is Yaro Kubrin, I at Nine News. And I was going to say something about weed, but I forgot what it was, Jason. Weed the people. No, weed. Weed the people. No, for and the. So weed for I, the. Weed for weed, the. Weed for the people. There you Thank go. you. There you I, go. I'm there blundering go. my blundering my lines. But yes. nonetheless, really, weed for the people means policies that don't so severely restrict access that you have to have an eyeball hanging out of your skull or be bleeding out of your guts in order to qualify for access to cannabis. Mm. No, that's not on the list. You have to have a popular common disease in order to seek relief. If you have anything that afflicts under a certain number of people in the population, you don't even have a hope because your your condition is unpronounceable. It didn't make the list. Can you you imagine having AIDS in Kentucky and not even having a clear line of sight on access to medical cannabis? 
Well, and if we were to actually go look up what the percentage of population that suffers from AIDS in that particular state, uh, that that might be a shocker if anybody wants to use the Google machine. Uh, Oaksterdam took education to Louisville. Um, it, it, oh my gosh, almost a decade ago, um, my husband and I were there talking to lawyers and doctors and trying to do continuing medical and legal education. Unfortunately, it was also the weekend that Muhammad Ali passed away and Louisville was shut down and no one could actually get into the educational conference. Um, yeah, haunting. This is... Uh, well, I, I find it interesting yeah, that the, the letter that Bashir put out back in November, he did include wasting syndrome as, right, right. As, as, a, as a qualifying condition. So, I think uh, California all... got it right. And any other condition as yep. approved yep. between you and your doctor. Yeah. You know, if, I... if, if, if you had a child who's suffering from seizures and, and this, this comes down to cannabis being a drug of last resort versus an option along the way to try, even as a harm reduction technique. Um, most parents have to try every drug that's not designed for children first uh, and, and prove that it either didn't make them better or harmed them before they're even allowed to try cannabis in most of these medical states. It's government has government has no business interfering with the beautiful and, and noble relationship between a patient and a doctor, no matter what the medical condition is, no matter what the proposed medical procedure is, no matter what the proposed medical solution is. We should know in this country that there are some things that government cannot improve and that the people who are making these policies not being physicians means that they have a greater chance of creating harm than they do of creating progress. I know. Dale, um, yeah, I just looked it up. Kentucky's had Cabinet for Health and uh, Family Services 2022 annual HIV AIDS uh, annual surveillance report. That's the last one that I could find reported just over 11,800 cumulative HIV infections diagnosed and reported as of December 31st, 2021. Did not say anything specifically for AIDS, but it is uh, for HIV. So I, I don't know about the article that you're citing, Yarrow, but if you look at the uh, letter that Bashir put out in November of 2022, AIDS is listed there as a, as a qualifying condition, but also at the bottom, it just says terminal illness. So a terminal illness could be AIDS or could be any number of things basically described by your doctor. But the list that I see, HIV is definitely included. So if so, you're going to die, you can get high. But if you just want relief to live. If you want to live with a chronic issue, you're screwed. I think one could argue that uh, once you're born, you technically have a terminal illness since everyone is destined to die at some point in time. I was waiting for you to say that. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the problem is, is that here's where cognitive dissonance is is remarkably frustrating and so i'll just say this is the lone woman in the room as far as i know uh that <laughs> you go to texas and they now legally can let you die on the table for an etopic pregnancy those of you that don't know etopic will never be a baby it's not growing in the womb but they right. will now legally not even save the mother for 
a, a mass of cells that is is blocking basically your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and they so, claim to be so let's nice. not pretend that there's anything oh. sacred between doctors and patients in Republican America these days. Like, let's just not. Well, I think you guys are giving mm -hmm. being the Republicans up a little bit because uh, I've talked to a number of Kentucky uh, politicians in regards to this issue, and they all tell me the exact same thing, that the number one lobbying group in, in Kentucky in regards on this issue is the Kentucky uh, state troopers, and they do not want that, and so that is basically how it is rolling out over there. Is it the troopers or the lobbyists? Is it the trooper or the, the state, police the state, officers the state, association? The state, yeah, it's the same I thing. I that question. Same, uh, the, it's not the same thing. The boots on the ground do not always with the lobbyists in the Capitol. And that was the problem in in California. Well, they, they, for years. they all specifically told me the Kentucky State Troopers. It was very specific in regards with that. It wasn't their police union and or whatnot. Association. Their association or whatnot. They were saying specifically the Kentucky State but, Troopers were. But imagine how bad that is that people who are trained for a brief <laughs> period of time to be noble law enforcement line staff feel that that training qualifies them to opine on medicine and medical efficacy. That is like my three-year-old dictating to me what a healthy meal should be for them. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be the loudest voice. It should be the most qualified opinion. Mac and cheese, fair. baby. That's fair, fair, fair enough. Sure speaking, today, speaking, of, well speaking of qualified opinions, we're going to roll right in to Mr. Dr. Mark Chaldone. He's a Ph.D. chemist with 30 years experience, and, of course, he's been a deadhead for over 50 years. And for all you cannabinoid lovers out there, he actually invented HHCA. That's right. It is none other than Dr. Mark Chaldone. He said it right. I did it right. I look at first of the year. Look at that. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Happy Friday, everybody. Uh, not to belabor the fact, but you got to remember in Kentucky, there is a huge hemp industry and a large number of politicians are in bed with hemp producers in Kentucky to bring Kentucky back on the map as a hemp producer. So there is that. Okay. So, um, Rather than talking about Delta-8, which I usually talk about, or hemp, <laughs> we're going to talk about something different uh, today. We're going to, uh, my story comes from the MJ Biz Daily, and it's entitled Marijuana Genetics. Well, I don't like the way that article starts. It uses the M word. It tells you maybe the education level of the author who wrote it. Marijuana genetics trends to extend beyond high THC in 2024. This is written by Kate Robertson. And it starts, uh, THC potency, the higher the better, is still the most important factor to consumers when shopping for marijuana products. Maybe I'll just substitute every time she says marijuana i'm just going to say cannabis. I do. okay I adult for recreational too that's what i'm going to do because i just don't like saying the word marijuana it makes me don't seem like it. a criminal okay I so cannabis say, operators uh, say but secondary factors are also driving genetics trend at cultivation facilities across the u.s i'd say across the world because I know of cannabis breeding happening across the world. Uh, in addition to high THC, high yield cultivars, experts in the cannabis uh, industry say consumers are becoming increasingly interested in these three things. 
the terpene profiles of cannabis products, legacy strains bred with high THC cannabis cultivars, and minor cannabinoids such as THCV and CBN. Does she know that the plant doesn't make CBN? That CBN is a degradation product? That there's not a strain on planet Earth that makes CBN intentionally? She probably doesn't know that. Okay, trends aside, THC potency is still the most important factor to consumers. We're getting feedback from some dispensaries saying that if it's lower than 25%, they don't want it or they want it for a lower price. Reggie Harris, co-founder and CEO, CEO of Missouri-based genetics company House of Kush told MJ Biz Daily. House of Kush is focused on producing legacy genetics or cultivars with names that are recognizable to Prohibition-era consumers such as Bubba Kush and OG Kush. Even though people love the legacy names and they love buying legacy strains, really, do they? Um, high THC is the rule of the day, Harris said. We have started to breed using some of those high uh, THC legacy strains to cross with other genetics that are going to give higher in potency uh, results. Legacy strains are recognizable to consumers, but breeding them with high THC strains increases potency and adds novelty factors for consumers. Uh, Nathaniel Nutta Vereen, co-founder of Tikal, official, a New York-based uh, cannabis brand available in 11 states, says he has noticed the same strain, uh, the same trends. Legacy strains have been a big topic of discussion. Vereen said, "Blue Dream became popular for a hot minute. Now it seems that people are working on classic strains with new cultivars." Consumers still want to see cannabis products marketed under indica, sativa, and hybrid categories, despite some skepticism that the labels connote meaningful information about the effects the products will have, according to Shai uh, Ramshai, the president of Barcelona, uh, Spain-based Royal Queen Seeds. Uh, after that, high THC is the top of the important list uh, in terms of strain characteristics, Ramshay wrote in an email to MJ Biz Daily. We found that U.S. consumers consider terpenes such as limonene and myrcene were the two top terpenes that people were looking for. Uh, Baltimore-based Curio Wellness, which cultivates its cannabis strains from tissue culture, also ensures offering consumers a variety of cultivars with different price points that fall into the indica, hybrid, and sativa categories. We always want to have something that's high in myrcene for indica customers, something that's has a more balanced bouquet of terpenes that are hybrid, and then limonene, pinene, or terpinaline for the sestiva strains, said uh, Rebecca Raphael, uh, Curio's chief revenue officer. Hawaii headquartered Big Island Grown, a vertically integrated cannabis operator, also focuses on terpene diversity and cannabinoids in its nursery. We love tropical fruit terpenes at Big Island Grown, co-founder uh, Jacelyn Moore told MJ Biz Daily in an email. Uh, this year, the company will launch 
strain names or uh, will launch strains with such names as Sunkist, Papaya, Guava Jelly, uh, which also al aligns with Big Island Grown's brand identity and also contains very fruity terpene profiles. That sounds yummy. Uh, in the future, the company hopes uh, consumers will embrace so-called cheesy strains or cultivars containing terpinaline, osamine, and myrcene, which more said are grossly, uh, are grossly underrated uh, terpenes in cannabis. A lot of people can't face the funk, more said. Uh, as research continues to demonstrate new applications of cannabinoids, consumers are increasingly interested in the minor cannabinoids or cannabinoids that aren't strictly THC or CBD, such as CBN and THCV. Curio Wellness gleaned from patient trials that THCV is particularly useful for customers who want to feel focused and energized. Curio also sells ingestible THCV tablets uh, but um, the company plans this year to connect flower consumers with proprietary genetics by Phylos Bioscience that contain about 18% THC and 14 to 16% THCV. You don't really get a big head high from this, Raphael said. Uh, in uh, it is much more of a balanced feeling. The psychoactivity is strong, but the energy and and but you get energy and focus. That's strictly from the THCV. CBN is also growing in popularity, said Jason Badati, uh, founder of C, founder and CEO of Arizona-based Story Cannabis Company. This is one of the reasons, uh, or or this one seems to resonate with most. While you're seeing a growth in this category in CBN, research is still in the early stages, but uh, Verdati said CBN's sleep aid properties are particularly alluring to consumers. He said he's eager to see what kinds of insights researchers are able to glean from the minor cannabinoids moving forward and how that can be used in tandem with other cannabinoids to produce customized effects. I think we're at the cusp of that, Verdaddy said. And that's the article for today. Uh, I'd just like to add a few comments. Again, um, you're not going to breed a cannabis strain that's high in CBN. CBN is not made by the plant. CBN is made by the oxidative degradation of decarboxylated THCA. So I think these people are a little misled by that. The other thing is that with all the minor cannabinoids, most of these things that are coming out, things like THCV, those are being made synthetically. Those are not being produced by the plant. So just as you could convert CBD in an acid-catalyzed reaction to make THC, you can start with CBDV, right, which is a white crystalline compound that can be derived from high CBDV strains, and then use the same conversion chemistry to convert that into THCV. And so all of the THCV isolate that's being hawked now by the uh, alternative cannabinoid vendors is basically a synthetic reaction product that's derived from CBDV. There is no natural 
source of high THCV unless you're talking about these strains which have a lot of THC in it. And what I can tell you is that it's very difficult to separate THCV from THC using typical distillation or other types of separation. They can be separated, but when you're separating things like that, you're basically doing API synthesis and you're fractionating the, uh, the active ingredients from these strains. So I, I view this innovation here that's going on is these folks are paying attention to what's going on with the hemp derived cannabinoid space and they want to try to breed some of those miners back into cannabis. Cannabis typically, like the article says, has been bred for an, a high THC quantity. That's what humans like in cannabis and that's what traditional breeding has 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 delivered. And what it's also delivered are these all these different flavors and all these different crosses and different, you know, terpene profiles are the manifestation of the the crossing of those genetics. But the other thing and this is an a item of prohibition is that they've been bred to be high yielding producers because the more oil and the more trichomes cannabis uh, uh, is, is, is made in the cannabis, the higher value it is, and that's all based, again, on prohibition and THC level. So that's just my input on this article. Uh, I'd be curious on what my other correspondents have to say. Uh, it's Friday, folks. we got a weekend in front of us. Have some fun this weekend. Oh, yeah. Here's Dr. Mark. Bring on the flavors. Yeah. What do you think about this, Dr. <laughs> Talleyrand? Well, what do I think about the 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 article in general i have an issue with genetics because of epigenetic factors that the um some of the compounds the constituents in the plant change not based on the original cultivar genetics but because of how you grow the plant whether you stress it or not for example i think myrcene in some cultivars does increase based on stress that's just a theory that i haven't proven yet but but uh, so there's more than just the, uh, the genes to figure things out. You have to just go straight to the chemistry and try to figure it out that way. Yeah, so Jean, what happens with myrcene too is that in freshly harvested cannabis, you typically see very high levels of myrcene, but on the drying and particularly the curing of cannabis, what you start to see is that high levels of myrcene start to go down because myrcene is a reactive compound and it'll start basically oxidizing. And that's not necessarily bad. I mean, this is part of the whole magic of the cure. When you're curing, so there's two... Post-harvest, there's drying, which is the wholesale removal of water from the plant, but then there's the curing, and these are two different kind of phases to prepare cannabis, and in that curing step, there's a lot of kind of oxidation and sort of readjusting of the terpene profiles, and what you can find is that in freshly harvested cannabis, if you try to smoke it just after it's dried, it'll be very harsh. It'll have like a bite on the back of the throat, but that same cannabis, if it's it's allowed to age and it's allowed to cure properly, you'll find that it really mellows out that back of the throat harshness that you would see in the fresher cannabis. Uh, you know, I think you're talking about the three major factors, right? We're talking about genetics, the environmental conditions, and then post-production curing, harvesting, and how we attempt to slow that down without having oxidation uh, 
negatively affect the terpene profile. And I really appreciated what Dr. T said, because cannabis is a plant that does better under adversity, like some of us human beings. Sometimes we have to get kicked in the teeth to know what we're really made of. And so just like grapes, if a grape has had a very easy life, it's not going to taste very good because it didn't have to struggle. And so I think that conversation around genetics, if it doesn't include a conversation around cultivation techniques, methodologies, will always be an incomplete conversation. Well, and then I'd love to add to that the method of ingestion. Uh, I, I see juicing cannabis as as a popular methodology for some patients. It doesn't make them high, but I imagine seen exposure and maybe that's why they like it so much doctor so I'm, I'm curious about that and then it also makes me curious about fresh frozen versus you know for extraction versus extraction after curing and drying um which is also uh a, a large discussion in the hort labs that go on uh at, at oaksterdam so yeah yeah, there's, 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 Dale, there's a lot of terpene loss in, in drying and even in curing, even if you're curing inside a bucket and you burp the bucket every once in a while. And, and so I think fresh frozen, so, so THCA itself, which again is the star of the show, it's the primary compound that's made in the trichomes of high THC cannabis. THCA is white crystalline solid. And so when you make an extract of it from, from dried and cured material, this was kind of like 2014, 2015 shatter, right? We were getting basically an amorphous solid as the as the extract right but when you leave all those terpenes in there now when you do the extraction there's enough terpenes to dissolve the thca right so now what you get is a liquid extract that can go right into a vape pen or you could do a little bit more formulation work with it because you're dealing with a liquid as opposed to a solid so i i, I think what you're saying is is very true that the terpene profile at harvest in a fresh frozen sample is going to be very, very different than a terpene pro profile in dried and cured cannabis. But to me, this is the wonderful thing about cannabis. We could do an extraction on cured material and make something that's going to taste a little bit different than the, than the fresh frozen extraction, which is going to be the live resin, very gassy, very terpy, very fruity, if that's the type of terpenes that are in there. I know we got to keep on. You know we got to keep on moving. We're over time now, but um, make sure Adam, make sure you clip about a minute and a half ago. We had Dr. Mark and Dr. T at the same time giving the thumbs up on. That was an excellent screen grab. I'll <laughs> give that. That was so dope. Man, always a pleasure to hear you guys go at it. And always uh, feel smarter uh, with uh, doctors going at their dialogue on Fridays and and sprinkle a little Dale on there too. It's, it's great, great, great way to start the year off. And speaking of bringing us home today and back by popular demand for the new year, rocking a fresh new look, it's the marijuana mama herself, advocate since 07, Oaksterdam University's executive chancellor, Dale Sky Jones. That is right. Thank you. And my news today is coming at you from Duluth, Minnesota land of ice. On January 5th, that would be today, Minnesota law enforcement agencies will receive training on roadside tests to determine if someone is under the influence of drugs while driving. The training is part of a pilot project authorized by the state legislature when adult use cannabis was legalized this past summer. Uh, shout out to you, Dr. Mark. 
that also said marijuana, recreational marijuana, and like, here's shameless plug for style guide and how to properly use terminology. Um, we don't have to repeat their terrible talking points. So you just be you, boo. Drug recognition evaluators will be trained. <laughs> Drug recognition evaluators will be trained with fluid instrument, oral fluid instrument. It's kind of like the word moist, which detects the presence of cannabis and other drugs in a driver. I'm feeling frisky. During the pilot program, results gathered from the tests won't be admissible in court during the pilot program. The goal is to obtain legislative approval in 2025 uh, to use the roadside tool in the field to enforce arrests for drug impaired drivers. Northern News Now did check with the Duluth police, who said that the department has two officers who are trained as drug recognition evaluators, DREs, also in some places known as drug recognition experts. One of those officers will be sent to the Twin Cities to receive training on the tool as part of the pilot program. So basically, they'll have one officer trained uh, on this particular tool. Now, short... Um, article because I wanted to also just bring in a little bit of context because there is experience. Um, from the National Institute of Justice in 2021, there was an article on field sobriety tests and THC levels as an unreliable indicator in marijuana intoxication. RTI concluded that for their dosing study, THC levels in biofluid were not reliable indicators of marijuana intoxication. Uh, now, I can also probably take issue with the word intoxication uh, from late Latin. Toxicus means poisoned, uh, and cannabis uh, is not a poison. Um, however, what we are worried about is whatever it is you might have taken uh, on the road, whether it's um, Ambien or cannabis or texting while driving or too sleep sleepy uh, to be on the road. Um, many of these study participants that had uh, oral fluid swabs, um, it, 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 most of these study participants had significantly decreased cognitive and psychomotor functioning even when their blood, urine, and fluid containing low levels of THC. Um, they also observed standardized field sobriety tests commonly used to detect driving under the influence of drugs or alcohol were not effective in detecting uh, cannabis, uh, especially intoxication. Because um, what we're really talking about here is not the presence of it in your system, it is affecting the way you drive on the road. Because if you are a patient with a medical condition, you're going to do better if you have MS, if you take your medicine, uh, versus if you don't, your symptoms are going to be worse. And so uh, a per se limit in your system in no way, shape, or form indicates um, it, it, your ability to drive with cannabis uh, the way a tried and true tested, the BAC, blood alcohol content for, for alcohol exists. Um, other fun fact, Michigan State Police uh, Forensic Science Division has halted all THC toxicology testing due to technical issues where samples containing cannabidiol, known as CBD, may be converted to THC during the testing process, leading to potentially inaccurate results. I, I think that's another issue of the scientists not knowing um, as much what they're talking about. Uh, but according to George Law, nearly one-third of all tests led to erroneous results. So in 11 out of 74 occasions, the test found that the person who showed impaired by THC uh, with, a, with a swab, when they were also tested, it was not found 
in their blood. Um, one last thing that I will point out back to methods of ingestion. Uh, if you look at the chart of detectable amounts of THC in these swabs, it is wildly different. If you smoke it, you have a huge spike. If you eat it, it's almost undetectable. And yet if you eat it, it's way more psychoactive. I'm personally, as a mom on the road, way more concerned about people that eat too many brownies than smoke too many joints. So the, the, it's, it's, there's just no correlation um, and we can't have legal causation as a result of any of these tests, in my opinion. I am Dale Scott Jones with University closing out today's High at Nine News. Man, Dale, I'm telling you, I, I think cannabis stops road rage. I really I mean, the, the challenge is the science still isn't in. The difference between yeah. ingestation have, versus yeah. intoxication. Mm -hmm. And the science still isn't there. And so we still have this problem. But we're going to have a lot of people getting DUIs who probably don't deserve it. And, and this, kind of the science is... I mean, we've we had the California Department of Transportation talking about this at a CCIA CCIA event back in 2017. We're now in the 2024. The science still isn't in. There's something to be solved here, but if they get ahead of that without backing it with real solid science, because taking something doesn't mean that you are impaired, right? Ingestation and impairment are two very different things. And so I'm I'm worried that they're getting a little ahead of themselves, well-intended, but over their skis, and that a lot of people are going to get DUIs who don't deserve them. And that's why we need to not allow per se driving limits be introduced into law. Per se meaning if it's in your system, you're guilty, mm -hmm. because that's just simply not a measurement of a crime. Uh, it's how you behave. And I would go back to arguing there are a lot of drugs that we commonly consume and not drugs like sleep that we didn't consume uh, that affect our driving. And it, I, I want to reinforce the answer is not a quick, easy tab test like the BAC. That that works. It, it genuinely is correlated to performance. The blood alcohol tests that are roadside are genu generally accurate. They want that easy, quick test, law enforcement, whoever wants that quick test for marijuana intoxication. It does not exist, like you said in the science. But what does exist is training for law enforcement experts to recognize when you're driving like shit and charge you with that, regardless of the reason why. Stop looking for a, a swab in the mouth. And, and you know what I think it's going to be is electronics. Bring an iPad and have a test on how fast you can react and respond to mm -hmm. that test. And I then it's not that. the officer deciding whether or not you look mm -hmm. you're drunk. It's a test yeah. that is it is qualitative. Mm -hmm. Then I still I'm wonder gonna, I'm gonna go go back and forth on the game of Wordle with you. See if they see how high they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> While walking backwards with her eyes closed, touching their nose. <laughs> Mystery line. Ooh, well, the, the, do that. <laughs> the, the, the reason why the blood alcohol content is such a good measure for impairment is because they made a correlation between impairment and blood alcohol content. And that took a huge study of a statistically significant swath of the population that uses it that have pre-existing conditions, that some are overweight, some are underweight, some are younger, some are older. So in order to basically extrapolate that onto a population, you have to understand the variation within that population or else it's not statistically significant.
But we also don't right? have like a medicinal endo alcohol system. Like endocannabinoids right. and phytocannabinoids are entirely different than alcohol. I have one for Pinot Noir. I have my own little internal system just for Russian River AVA Pinot. It has been discovered within my system, and I am. I believe ready to do sideways 2.0. Right, right. <laughs> I, right, I have right, a Russian. Pinot Noir system. Oh boy! I'm glad you said Noir. Cheers. <laughs> White Russian River. Oh boy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Thank you all. We are at the top of the hour now. It's a very, very live uh, session today. We're actually at uh, 10 15. So, uh, very, very lively session as Fridays always are with us. Thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can catch us live weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen to our live audience and online supporters, catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos also known as the developing cannabis industry. To our vetted correspondent team tuning in from all over, Fridays are always very, very informational. I love it on, on this day. Not only is it a great way to get into the weekend, but it's a great way to get your uh, daily dose that lasts you for three more days till you see us again on Monday. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, our sponsors keeping the lights on and our AV struggles to a minimum. Adam back there just brushing his hair just so elegantly. How dare you? Hey, Adam. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as always cannabis sativa l the reason we read these stories every single day thank you too it has been friday january 5th 2024 the show's over you've all been blessed with the top industry headlines hope it was enough for you to smoke at least until monday i'm rico let meet the dopest dad on the street for high nine news cannabis industry's number one daily news show yaro kubrin Mr. Fine China himself. You're going to bring us out, man. You're going to take us out. Yeah, weed for the people. Weed for the people. Let's get lawmakers out of relationships between patients and doctors. Let's use best practices from states that have functional programs. And let's remember that science and public policy outcomes should drive all sensible decisions. Have a great weekend. <laughs>